Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Like my friends, Jason and Krista, they just had their first baby. It's all exciting, you know, to be with them before the baby was born and then, you know, all the texting during it all, you know. And he, oh, he's got an app, you know, how many contractions. And there's anyway, uh, an app for that. Anyway, and so, you know, and then, you know, it, and it happened, the baby's born, he's right there, and he just says, oh, the wonderful part, wonderful part. Welcome to earth, you know. And so verse 29 is Isaac's getting his welcome to heaven, gathered to his people. All right. It's described here, the days of Isaac, were in verse 28, were 104 score years. Now, normally, you wouldn't put something like that that way, right? You'd say, normally, you'd say, the years of Isaac were 180 years, right? That's normal. And because the issue is clearly years, but the verses tell us how many years he lived there. He says he lived 180 years. Okay, right, fine. So logic tells you, keep the first part of the system with the second part of the sentence, right? Isn't that what you would say, Gene? You're always correcting everything. So, <laughs> It's so purposeful here that Isaac's life is described, his years are described in terms of days. God is redirecting our thoughts with this statement here. The days of Isaac's uh, were 180 years. Doesn't make sense put that way. Isaac's life, but he's saying it this way because he's driving the point here. Isaac's life was made of individual days. And that's what God wants us to see from this verse, that Isaac's life was made up of individual days because that's what God wants to see about our lives. Our lives are made up of individual days, and our years are only the collection of individual days, but the emphasis is days. Each day is a daily challenge, like in First Thessalonians 5.16, a daily challenge. Are you going to rejoice evermore? Are you going to pray without ceasing? In every, are you going to everything you give thanks? That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Each day is a series of daily challenges, challenges that we have to give ourselves. There are six challenges Maybe, I don't know, I, I say there's six, maybe, maybe. Okay, the first challenge of the day is, will I start today with meeting with God in the Bible, in prayer, and by committing myself to God and asking him to use me today? That's a challenge, okay? How am I start today? Ask yourself the question, how'd you start today? How'd you start yesterday? For tomorrow, will you start tomorrow? Meeting with God in the Bible, prayer, committing myself to God, and asking him to use me. That's the first challenge. Second challenge, will I be happy today? Will I be happy today in the Lord, no matter what happens? Am I going to rejoice evermore? Will I be happy today? Third challenge, third challenge, will I get my prayer engine going in the morning 
and not let it die during the day, no matter what happens. I gotta pray without ceasing. Fourth challenge, will I thank God today for everything that happens to me? Fifth challenge, will I look for how God wants to use me today as his ambassador in the life of someone else? Am I gonna look for that? Am I gonna see it? And then I'm gonna grab it. And the sixth challenge, last challenge, will I, before I go to sleep, take time at the end of the day by looking back on the day and seeing the hand of God and giving him thanks? See, that's a lot to do. That's a lot to do in each day. I mean, to make, just to make a checklist of those six challenges and strive to be able to check them off for each day, that takes all the energy we got for the day. But that's how God wants us to lead our lives. That's how he wants to order our lives, one day at a time. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we lose that focus of each day and we get over-consumed and overwhelmed with worrying about the future beyond our day. And the Lord said, don't do that in Matthew 6.31. Matthew 6.31. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things to the Gentiles and nations seek those. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, he's saying, look, sufficient is enough already. Sufficient unto the day of the six daily challenges. First, Bible, with prayer of commitment, a request to be used. Second, rejoicing. Third, unbroken prayer. Fourth, being thankful. Fifth, being an ambassador. Sixth, look back and giving him thanks. See, God said that's what our day should be consumed with and not consumed with trying to meet our long-term needs and worried about it. I told you that when I started to make uh, annual and sometimes twice a year trips to Japan back in 1982, you know, business, I really didn't expect to get any business from Japan. I just wanted the opportunity to use the business to bring the gospel to Japanese scientists and businessmen. So for over 10 years, I did that. And I would always search around for new products or new services to, that I could offer in Japan, something that was new that I didn't think they knew about. And it had no business at all in Japan. They were kind of amused with me. You know? But I was satisfied each day because through the what they call after five meetings, after 5 p.m. meetings, the dinners and lunches, I had many opportunities to bring the gospel to many Japanese scientists and businessmen, and I was fulfilled. That fulfilled me. And then in 1990s, our business in Japan, it just exploded. It's now, you know, almost 20% of our total revenues. And that became a lesson for me of Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be, all these, all these business opportunities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Japan, and all these business opportunities in Japan will be added to you. And the reason the Japanese gave me, the reason why they gave for giving a lot of business, because I wondered, you know, is because I kept coming every year with no business. And then they said, well, we came because uh, this showed loyalty. They said loyalty. Only thing is, it confused me because they called it royalty. (laughs) I thought, what royalty, you know? Anyways, royalty. But I finally got it right because in Osaka, I'd always stay at the Royal Hotel, and they called that the Loyal Hotel. So then I understood But I was trying to show loyalty. I was trying to show loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them the gospel. They saw it as loyalty to themselves, which in a sense it was true. I was being loyal to them also to bring them the words of life. That's why it's so important for us to see 
The emphasis on days in verse 28 when describing the 180 years. Isaac's life was not about 180 years. It was about 65,700 days in the 180 years. If we live to be 85 years, our life will not be about the 85 years of our life. It's going to be about the 30,940 days of our life. And you can count that. It'll take you about four hours, and then you'll count off every day of your life on earth. It's all about days. It's all about days. Okay, so Isaac lives 180 years, which actually made him the longest living patriarch. It's kind of amazing. You know, Abraham lived 175 years, Genesis 25-7. Isaac, as we see here, lives 180 years. This is verse 28. Ishmael lived 137 years. That's Genesis 25-17. Jacob lives 147 years. That's Genesis 47-28. And Joseph lives 110 years. Young guy. That's Genesis 50, verse 26. So Isaac here is the longest living of these group here, these patriarchs. And what's interesting is that Isaac was 137 years old. Now remember, he died 180, but he was 137 years old when Jacob left the house because he was fleeing from Esau. And at that time, Isaac said in Genesis 27, 2, he said, behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. So he's 137, you know, you want to say you're a young guy, but anyway, he's 137 years old, and he thought that he was about to die. And he said, you know, I, I know not the day of my death, I'm old. But he hung on for another 43 years to live the longest, which shows we have no idea when we're going to die. <laughs> so, now Isaac, about his life, he was 167 years old when Jacob was told that Joseph was killed by the wild animal when, in fact, he was sold into Egypt. So that means that Isaac lived for 13 years under this grief that Joseph, uh, you, know, you know, had been killed. He grieved with Jacob. And, and Isaac actually died without ever knowing that Joseph was still alive and become the most powerful man on earth. But Isaac had survived for 17 years after Jacob returned from Syria. So when we read these words here, like in verse 29, Isaac gave up the ghost and died. It makes us think of uh, how Isaac was kind of a part of this group that the Bible calls the all. You know, in Hebrews eleven thirteen, Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, Isaac takes his place in the group of the all, that wonderful hymn that paints the picture of the all in the hymn, for all the saints. It's beautiful. For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confess. Thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. And then it goes on to say at the end, from earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl stream in, the countless host, singing to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Wow. Boy, that does, that's inspiring. All right. So here, here's all the, the saints, and, and they're seen resting from their labors on earth, and then they're seen streaming in as a countless host through the gates of pearl, and they're singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And in that countless host, we can see Isaac there too. He died in faith. He's part of that all group. He received the promise of Canaan on earth, 
but he never received Canaan on earth. He got Canaan in heaven. And when Isaac did die, there's a certain description of him. It says in verse 28, he was old and full of days. That's the same description that was used for Abraham in Genesis 25, 8, when it says, Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man full of years. Same idea, full of days, full of years was gathered to his people. See this phrase, full of days, full of years, it has a meaning of satisfaction. It doesn't mean they had easy lives. Isaac didn't have an easy life. His life was really rough. I mean, he had a lot of troubles. He had a lot of hard times. I mean, he grew up with a stepbrother, Ishmael, who was jealous of him, who mocked him. I mean, Isaac had this trauma, think he was going to die as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah at the hands of his father. That's traumatic. I mean, he's attached to his mother, and he's brokenhearted when she dies. And then he, he gets his beautiful wife, and, and he's worried that because his wife is so beautiful, he's going to be killed so that some other man could take her. And he's constantly having his well stolen or vandalized by those around him, his fear of his neighbors all the time. He goes through years of infertility with his wife, Rebecca. He grieves over his favorite son, Esau, who despises Isaac's God and how Esau despises his birthright and how Esau had no desire at all to separate himself from the idolatrous world around him. As it says in Genesis 26, 34, Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Berea, the Hittite, and Bashamoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. It's a grief of mind. It means that everything, but think about it, it grieves them in their mind. They grieve. And then he grieves over how he lost Jacob when Rebekah said that she was going to die if he didn't send Jacob away to Syria to get a wife. And he grieves when he learns that Esau has his vow to kill Jacob. And he grieves over the death of Rebekah. And he grieves over the death of Joseph. And he probably grieves over, well, sure, he grieves over the, the Reuben raping his stepmother. He's got a lot of troubles. He's got a lot of troubles in his life. And at the end, Isaac, he has God. And he's got God, and, and he doesn't ever grieves over losing God because he's got God. And so he dies satisfied, full of days. He watches his troubles pass away. That's the way it is in our lives, isn't it? I mean, some of us, our days are hard. You know, this last week I had the flu, and I was just miserable. And all I want to do is just cut it short. And then I learned the important secret, that if you don't take therapy when you have the flu, that'll last seven days. And if you take therapy when you have the flu, it will last seven days. <laughs> and I felt horrible. Oh, man, I felt so bad. Sneezing, congestion, labor, breathing, head pressure, sore ribs from coughing. Oy. And I finally got a little better. Anyway, that's a pattern of our lives. Hard times, that passes through, we get better. And the great part about verse 29 is how it has this look back, it says, full of days satisfied, and then it's got this look forward, gathered to his people. You know, David talked about that look back, look forward. He says in Psalm 16:6, Psalm 16:6, the lines are fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. You know, all this, but I look back, oh, pleasant places. Well, he had a rough life. But, you know, he said, look, no, no, it's, it's Romans 8, 28 for me. All things work together for good to them that love God. As I saw God making everything work together, and then he looks forward and he says, heritage. What's a heritage? Something you inherit. Oh, boy, do I have an inheritance in the future here. You look forward 
You know, for the believer, heaven is very real. God makes heaven real. And you know what? And God makes God real for the believer. And that's a distraction, a great distraction from the troubles. You know, this week I received a letter from a dear friend who, along with her husband, are, are Holocaust survivors. And she writes to me, we are schlepping on at our age. There's no cure for our ails. My husband takes a lot of medications and I take vitamins. <laughs> you know, God makes heaven real for the believer. God makes himself real for the believer. And those become important distractions. We all go through these things. Everybody gets the flu. Anyway, but it's a great phrase, gathered to his people. It means Isaac was gathered to the people who are like him. Believers are gathered with people who are like them. Truth tellers are gathered together with truth tellers. Liars are gathered together with liars. Generous people are gathered together with generous people. Thieves are gathered together with thieves. Cleansed people are gathered together with cleansed people. Impure people are gathered together with impure. Enlightened with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, those people, they're gathered together. Those who are darkened, they're gathered together. Saved are gathered with saved. Lost are gathered with lost. All death does is gather like people together. Now, this chapter has been filled with some really difficult things, death, rape, but this chapter ends with a beautiful picture in this last verse. Isaac gave up the ghost, died being gathered people full and and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. We've got two sons here, Esau and Jacob. They, They were separated by There was hatred, there was murder, there was envy. But now we see them coming together in peace and reconciliation. I mean, some family members are at such odds with each other, even the death of a father or a mother doesn't bring them to reconcile with each other. But that's what's made this so precious here. Because here in these words, his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. We say Esau and Jacob, they're shaking hands over the corpse of their father. And when we move into the next chapter, which we will someday, (laughs) we'll see that they each take different paths, and they never meet again, but they part reconciled, and that's so important. This was the time, and they seized it, and they were reconciled. It's important for us to look at this and to realize we need to reconcile with our enemies, especially when they're in the same church. That's why this church is so narrow, <laughs> because you can't get far away from each other, right? <laughs> and, um, but we should be in a fellowship. There should be no one that we don't talk with. And it's not always easy. The Bible says, okay, you know, Paul says, I understand, but reach down deep in yourself. Reach down deep inside you. Find that possibility to live at peace with each other. Uh, Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, Romans 12, 18. As much as lieth in you, the words reach down deep. Live peaceably with all men. That's to reach down deep inside of you and find that possibility to live peaceably with all men. This is beauty, beauty here at the end of this chapter. This is the beauty that God talks about in Psalm 133.1. Psalm 133.1. Behold, you guys catch a picture of God looking at Esau and Jacob, and he says, hey, angels, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And God says, I got a promise there. When that reconciliation takes place, He says in verse 3 of Psalm 133, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. We'll never know. Who's not receiving eternal life? Because the hindrance of stubborn uh, brethren who want to alienate 
from each other. But there's something really else important in here. Something important to see here in this last verse. Isaac died, his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Isaac died, says that. Isaac died. Now that was particularly important for Esau. Why? Because Esau made a vow. He made a vow to do something when Isaac died. It's, you remember? That's it. Genesis 27, 41. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Right around the corner. Thought he was going to die. Then will I slay my brother. Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning of my father. In other words, my father's going to die. And when he dies... I vow to kill my brother Jacob. Esau vowed to kill Jacob as soon as Isaac died. And he comforted himself with those words. And they told Jacob. Jacob knew about that. Because Rebekah told him in the next verse, Genesis 27, 42, 27, 42. These words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Here it is, it's the death of Isaac. This is what Esau's been waiting for. Now's the time for Esau to keep his vow and kill his brother. But the beauty of verse 29 is that we don't see Esau keeping his vow to kill Jacob because Esau repented of his vow because his vow was sinful. Some vows are sinful and they need to be repented of. Like the vow of Judas Iscariot, in Matthew 26, 15, Matthew 26, 15, said unto them, what will you give me? And I'll give you, and I'll give them, I'll deliver them unto you. They covenanted with him. That's a vow uh, for 30 pieces of silver. That vow was sinful. It needed to be repented of. The vow of Jephthah, Jephthah was sinful. He needed to repent of that. He vowed that in Judges eleven thirty. Judges eleven thirty. 30. Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And then verse 34, Jephthah came to Mitzvah in his house and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels, with dances. She was his only child because he didn't have a son or daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he ran his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them to trouble him before I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. I cannot go back. Yes, he can. You can repent of the sinful vow. He made a sinful vow to sacrifice and make a burnt offering out of the first human being that walks in his door if God may give him the victory over the Ammonites. He should have repented over that and not killed and burned up his daughter. It was a sinful vow. Well, what we see here with Esau and Jacob burying Isaac together as we see Esau repenting of his sinful vow to kill Jacob. Because God didn't want Jacob to be killed by Esau, by the way. So God wasn't going to let that happen. He's either going to tie his hands or turn his heart. And unfortunately, Esau let God turn his heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for recording all these things for us. Lord, now we pray that you would plant the truths in this chapter deep into our hearts, that they would change us and to be more like you. In Jesus, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 